Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us. We kind of have an interesting look at where our world is today and how we got here. And we're going to be trying to answer the question, how did the West, by the West, the United States, European countries, formerly Christian, how did the West lose God? And we're going to have a little ending to the show, uh, maybe some suggestions, how it might find him again. And what I'm going to be doing is giving you an overview of the thesis of Mary Eberstadt, who is the author of a book entitled, How the West Really Lost God. And in this book, very insightful, that word really, she emphasizes in her title, she believes that sociologists, those who are cultural commentators, sociologists of religion, have it dead wrong. And I'm going to present to you her thesis, which she claims is about 180 different from what you really hear. And she's going to be talking about the difference between family life, the decline in family life, and the decline in religious life, and how the two go together. And again, at the very end of the show today, I'm going to share with you a possibility based on her suggestion on how the West might experience a comprehensive spiritual renewal. And you can maybe take a guess now what it is. I don't think you're going to guess. I was quite surprised by her suggestion. But back to our first question, how did the West really lose God? There's widespread agreement among scholars that religious belief and practice has been diminishing significantly among Christian populations. And I am not going to try to establish that today. I think if you're listening to this show, you probably have that one really figured out. Now, to try to get beneath the surface, though, you say, what has caused the decline of religious belief and practice? And we realize that our modern world is undergoing a sea change. And if you're a faithful Christian, you really don't like it because the sea change is from a Christian civilization to a thoroughly secular one. And we're right involved in that process. And you think, well, what caused it? And there's a number of things, and I'm not going to list all of the possibilities, but here's just a few. The Enlightenment is often blamed. Rationalism or modern thought, modern philosophy. Darwinism, the world wars, materialism, the 60s, uh, you name it. The list could go on. But there's a widespread agreement that there's been a decline of religion, and there's a strong assumption of those who are so-called experts in family life and sociologists and such, that the decline in family life is a consequence of the decline in religion. Now, Mary Eberstadt is going to take a unique position, and she's not going to go along with this modern assumption. I think there is credibility to some of that. 
And we're really going to be looking at what is the primary driver for the decline in religious belief and, and practice, and not saying there can't be secondary factors. But here's the traditional assumption that the cause of religious decline leads to the effect, that's family decline, a consequence of religious decline. So the cause is religious decline, the effect is family decline. And we're going through both. And we want to find out really what's going on because until we determine that, we may have a very difficult time coming up with recommendations on what we can do to reverse this process. But Mary Eberstadt boldly claims that this cause and effect assumption is absolutely dead wrong. Her thesis is that families are the faith transmission belt. In other words, faith is initiated, it's nourished, it's uh, taught both by word and a lot by example in the family. And her thesis is that faith and family are the keys to the religious belief and practice in the wider society. Now, you might say, well, Steve, you're so prejudiced. You even have a radio show called Faith and Family. Well, that's why I was actually really happy when I came across her book, because I didn't know uh, what she was going to say. I just knew that we have lost God in the modern world. I'm also aware that that families are hurting in the modern world. And I'm also aware that people assume it's because the religious belief and practice has declined, the family has declined, and she reverses this, absolutely reverses this, and points to things that are anti-family activities. In other words, things that weaken the family will end up causing the effect of losing God in the modern world. What these anti-family activities, not like the list I gave you a minute ago, but things like divorce and fatherless families, uh, rapidly declining marriage rates, both among our wider population and amongst Catholics and Protestants, declining birth rates, skyrocketing cohabitation taking place instead of marriage, and all of these anti-family activities has formed a coalition fueling the decay of religion. And so she sees faith and family as a type of uh, invisible double helix of society. In other words, the building block of all life is DNA, and we know that double helix strand of DNA is what the key to life is. And her analysis is that the key to spiritual life in society is faith and family. And if you could put faith and family together, they can very effectively produce what's needed for both the church and the wider culture. But this thesis is totally eclipsed by experts, by most experts. For instance, she cites a book uh, very highly regarded uh, scholarly book entitled On Secularization. And the book's 
basically how did we move from a Christian culture to a secular one? And she said in the book's index, the word family doesn't even appear. In other words, it's kind of like there's a frontal lobotomy. And, and these aren't just secular scholars. This is an assumption very often made by religious leaders and thinkers as well. And then she goes on to cite some people who do see things, what's going on. In other words, beneath the surface, what is really producing the faith that's needed and what has gone in eclipse that's resulted in the West losing God. She cites a family scholar and sociologist by the name of Stephen Nock. He has a book entitled Marriage in Men's Lives. Now, it's pretty well known, it's pretty tough to get men to come to church. And as one who has organized Catholic men's conferences all over North America, I earned a whole lot of frequent flyer miles. And our office was engaged working with local groups to get these men's conferences, Catholic fatherhood conferences going. It's really tough to get men to come to these things. So how do you get men, for instance, to come to church? I mean, that's a pretty basic step to practicing their faith. Well, here's what Stephen Knox says. A married man with children is over twice as likely to go to church as an unmarried man with no children. Okay, there's a very simple way to double the statistical probability of a man coming to church. Further, and this is pretty widely acknowledged, not just by Stephen Nock, he's summarizing others' findings as well, cohabitation, which isn't marriage, has a strong negative effect on the probability of religious activity. Now, do you see what's going on here? Do you notice the silence about cohabitation in so many pulpits around the United States? Catholic, Protestant, liberal, evangelical, Catholic. Um, they don't want to drive people away. So they very often think, well, we're just going to keep kind of quiet on that. And what happens? As the growth of cohabitation grows and people think, well, it's acceptable, I don't hear anything about it and such like that, what are you doing? You're driving men away from the church. A man is, is twice as likely to go to church if he's married and has kids than if he's just hanging out without children or cohabiting. Uh, there's a connection also with faith and fertility. There's a rapidly declining birth rate. I think the United States is either right at or maybe just dropped below replacement levels of population. And yet, strong believers of all faiths are more likely to have children and to have more of them. Because fertility is one sign of healthy family life, and it's also connected to faith. And here's another one from Stephen Nock. With each additional child, men increased their attendance at services by 2.5 times per year. In other words, he says, more children, more God. Maybe that's why I don't skip Mass. I have eight kids, but I'm teasing. 
the idea is there's a real strong connection. And again, uh, I've worked on getting men to come out on Saturday, not even Sunday morning, on Saturday to a religious conference. And that was tough to get them there. And I can just tell you now the hook. The hook was um, their role as a father. There's a mistake being made in contemporary circles. They call them Catholic men's conferences instead of Catholic fatherhood conferences. And they get older men with children who have long gone and have a very, very difficult time getting the younger men. Younger men will come to something like this because of their children. And because of their love for their children, there's an awakening that God does for their faith. They realize there's a connection there. There's a a book that I referred to in just a couple episodes ago, recently came out that basically verifies what Stephen Nock was saying. The book is entitled End Game. And it talked about the rise of nuns. And I had explained to a Catholic audience, this is an N-U-N-S. Uh, nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those young millennials, when asked on religious surveys, uh, what religious group or denomination are you affiliated with? And they will simply say, none. And that number is skyrocketing. And that will have effects on the wider culture, on voting patterns, on church attendance, and everything else. But the authors of The Endgame have a graph that, uh, boy, it's just like laser imprinted in my brain when I just, I can turn the page, I can see the page right now if I close my eyes. But it shows a graph of the almost straight line, 45 degree growth of the divorce rates and the absence of fathers in the home, and then the growth of nuns those saying they don't want anything to do with God or church attendance, uh, they parallel each other. And millennials who come from married homes, this is putting the positive side on it, are nearly twice as likely to attend church. So by emphasizing and supporting and focusing on helping marriages, not just like have pre-Cana and then you're good to go next 50 years. No, there's there's some ongoing support needed because if you can help couples stay married, they're twice as likely to practice their faith. And and we usually get it the other way. You know, no, it's it's the marriage seems to be the key. And yet the millennials who report having a... Um, basically a lousy relationship with their father, 57% of those young millennials are uninterested in attending church. The Our Father is kind of a rough one if it doesn't begin at home. Faith and family are the transmission belts that drive religious practice and have the faith result in a Christian culture and civilization rather than a secular one. Now, again, I've already mentioned, but the too many silences in churches over those things which God has put in place to save marriages and family life. Uh, I was visiting Colorado in the summertime, thankfully, but we're on top of a, uh, of a mountain in a beautiful park 
But the roads going up there, you know, with all the switchbacks and stuff, sometimes they had really steep drop-offs. I'm talking about hundreds of feet. And so when all the snow would come, they have these tall markers. And I'm talking about ones – I was driving a 15-passenger van at the time, and the markers were taller in my van. And why were they there? Were they there to try to crimp our style? Uh, were they there to try to ruin our view of the mountains? Were they there to try to hinder our freedom of expression going up the mountain? No, they were there to keep us from going off the mountain. They were there for our welfare, our good, our happiness, and our safety. That's what God's commandments are for regarding sexual morality. And people have these screwball ideas the Bible would say something like, thou shalt not commit adultery, and that's kind of an umbrella commandment that's basically prohibiting all types of aberrant sexual behavior. Why? Why is because they're guaranteed to ruin family life. And so as churches attempt to keep members, they're keeping silent about the various aspects of sexual morality. And what are they doing by doing that? It's an act of self-demolition. You're killing your future. Because if these things get rooted in a culture, things like contraception, well, you know, we talk about that maybe once every 15 years. And yet we're surprised by the legalization of same-sex marriage in a culture that accepted contraception. I'm not going to dig into it today, but if you dig into having sterile sexual relations in or outside of marriage, uh, it was widely predicted when Humane Vitae came out that this is what it would end up being. And yet, uh, anybody can see today, I would think, a Christian person that same-sex marriage is not a good thing in a culture, it is not a good thing in schools, and it's a not a good thing for families or adoption agencies. And yet, we're quiet about it, and so the hurt spreads. Uh, adultery. I've gone to clinics trying to uh, Basically, how do you help people that have committed adultery? And, you know, one of the things I learned, if you really want to get rid of your marriage, if you really want to destroy your relationship, one of the most effective ways to do it is to commit adultery. It's very difficult to overcome it. There are ways, but it's, it, it's why harm yourself? Why drive off the cliff and hurt your family? Would you go off the cliff with your whole family involved? Because if you commit adultery and it ends up in a divorce, your whole family will be involved, perhaps for generations for that. Uh, how about pornography? That's another one you don't hear too much about. Well, you don't want to talk about that. Everybody uses the internet, and most people on the internet are viewing pornography. Besides, what's the harm? Well, the harm, according, according to the American Sociological Association, official report, men who start watching porn doubled their chances of divorce. Doubled. So let's just say we take out every other marker for the snowdrifts so we don't go off the cliff. We'll just take those off and just chance it in between warnings. No. 
And for women who start the pornography habit, their divorce rate tripled. And these are ways to help families and keep them healthy so that faith is produced within the family that can strengthen and nourish and increase the church and help nourish a Christian society. And if you just let these things go and you don't try to have God-given safety markers for families, people get hurt. So, Mary Aberstadt has her second to last chapter. I'm giving it to you full throttle here today. Her second to last chapter is entitled, The Case for Pessimism. Stay with me, I'm gonna have an optimism chapter too. But basically, the health of the Western family is in freefall. And we're putting perhaps in some areas, and I'm not saying everyone, but and, I, and same with my criticisms, there's certainly grand exceptions, Protestants and Catholics to the silences that I mentioned. But in some places, we put more emphasis on divorce recovery than marriage help to stay healthily and happily married. But in any case, the Western family is in free fall. So she says, if this thesis is correct, then as the family goes, so goes the churches. And just, and I'm not going to pick on the Anglicans, but, but I am. You know, early on, they were the first in 2,000 years of Christian history to sign on that contraception is okay. Is it surprise? And that, that has led uh, by, again, both Christian and secular family experts to the decline of the strength of the family. And uh, the Anglicans, after first with conception, were first on the homosexual end of things. These things have consequences. And as a result, uh, I read one thing this week. Uh, uh, some Anglicans said, well, the last person out, turn off the lights regarding the Anglican church. It's dying. If the families are dying and the safety markers are removed, well, then the churches will die. It's that simple. All right, now we come to the final chapter, The Case for Optimism. It's a different way of looking at things. I asked you early on, take a guess what might cause the West to find God again after it has lost him in the modern world. And for her suggestion, she cites a scholar by the name of Sorokin, Sorokin was the founder of Harvard University's Department of Sociology. He's claimed to be one of the 20th century's greatest social thinkers, and I'm going to be referring to his book, Man and Society in Calamity. And he says this, that historical catastrophes and calamities like wars, famines, and pestilences end up setting in motion countervailing social forces. Let me quote you, Sorokin, quote, the principal steps in the progress of mankind toward a spiritual religion and a noble code of ethics have been taken primarily under the impact of great catastrophes. 
calamities may be something absolutely indispensable for spiritual renewal. And here's just a guess on my part, but it's been just over a half a century since President Richard Nixon closed the gold window where you could exchange dollars for gold. He did that on August 15th, 1971, and he said, your dollar will be worth just as much uh, tomorrow as today. Well, actually, the dollar in relation to gold has lost 98% of its value since President Nixon made that statement. And you wonder why prices are going up. They're not. I mean, they are, but the reason is the value of the dollar is going down. And in the 2008 financial crisis, the divorce rate dropped 24%. Next year, 2009, we had the housing collapse and the divorce rate dropped 57%. Maybe Sorokin's onto something. And now we're at 2022 with the Russian sanctions And there's some pretty astute economists and financial experts saying these sanctions could have a very destructive boomerang effect in the United States. Where do things go wrong? I'm just saying uh, this, this is hard medicine, but sometimes hard medicine rather than phony baloney superficial, fluffy, uh, everything's going to be okay. No, we're in a tough spot. We've lost God. How do we get him back? We need God. How do we get God? Well, very often we forget God in our prosperity. And in the United States, in my lifetime, I've lived through the greatest prosperity in the history of mankind. American middle class is a marvel that has no equal anywhere in history, and yet we seem to have lost God in the process. Right now, I'm looking at a photograph that's been in my office for, I don't know, two and a half decades. It's a picture of Forbes Field in 1930, and it's a picture of 110,000 Catholic men holding candles during a Eucharistic rally. I just thought, hey, that's great. I was trying to get men to come to Catholic men's conferences. We got 300, we're doing well, but here's 110,000. And then a friend came in and said, well, that's easy to explain. It was the Great Depression. We've stayed debt-free because we believe no matter what we're going through, good times or rough times or even calamities, we wanna be here to help you and your family renew the faith for both the church and the state. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.